Hello, this is Tina coming to you this um, week, month. I'm not sure how far apart I'm going to be doing the different books of the Bible, but we're going to start right at the beginning, which is Genesis. I know many of us have tried to read the Bible um, from front to the beginning until the new beginning, Revelation, and a lot of times we pick up the Bible, read what we can, either we get bored, confused, or just plain don't want to do it, and we sit it back down and not to pick it up again for a long time. This year, I've been on a journey through the Bible, and I've asked the Lord to help me to understand the Bible, not just to read it, but to understand it. And I will tell you that it has been quite the journey. I have been able to study more. Every morning I sit, uh, the first thing I do when I get up is I read my Bible, I read my devotions, and I study to understand what, what has happened what has happened to us as God's creation. And I think that's very important for us as Christians to understand we as God's creation, what have we been through, where are we now, and what's about to come. And I think that's just very intriguing, but I also know that it's very complicated. Uh, there are some of these things that I'm like, yep, don't, don't understand it, probably won't understand it until the Lord takes me home. And that's quite all right. I think that's what God has said. You're not gonna understand everything in here. There's no way because you don't have my mind. But I, I do think that he blesses those of us who strive to know more about his word. So uh, I'm not gonna waste a lot of time talking about things other than what we're gonna talk about today, and that's Genesis. So I want to give you a little bit of information about Genesis and what it is. Genesis is the beginning, and of course we know that this is the very beginning of mankind. There are 50 chapters. Actually, Genesis, Genesis is the longest book in the Bible. There are 50 chapters to the book. It was written in 1430 BC, actually written during the Exodus, and Moses is the author of the book of Genesis. So let's just get started. God created this formless, uh, I don't know, surface if you want to call it. There was darkness and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He separated the day and the night, gave us the sky, the water, the land, the seas, vegetation, stars, animals, and of course, mankind made in his very own image. He talks as if there's another um, person there because he says he made man in our image. And I believe that talks about the Holy Spirit and God himself. God created all of this in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, I believe that Genesis is showing a lot of disobedience. Now, there is some, of course, obedience, but it shows right from the beginning a lot of disobedience. In the beginning, God says to Adam, who is the first man and the first woman, in Genesis 2:17, God says to Adam, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now this is where God tells man, and I'm assuming he tells this to Adam. Although we know then eventually God says to Adam that he does not want him to be alone. He said it is not good in Genesis 2:18. He says, then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. The man chose a name for each one, and he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but there was still no helper just right for him. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took one one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, this is one bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And then we know that is Eve. So we have Adam and Eve. Now Eve then gets tempted by Satan and is told, man is told not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil Um, because they didn't need to. They already had God. God God provided all of this for them. But as we all know, we are given uh, the ability to choose on our own. And at that point, Eve was tempted by the devil and ate the fruit. Now, there has been a lot of discussion about this. Well, was Eve being disobedient? Was Adam being disobedient? But it does say that God told man, I'm assuming then that means Adam, told Adam. And we know that the man is the head of the household. So at this point, I'm assuming then that Adam is now already breaking that by not being the head of his household. And of course, Eve does eat from the eats the apple, and then we thus have the very first sin. Now, Adam and Eve have children. As a matter of fact, from what I've researched, it appears that they had 56 children. And Adam was 930 years old when he died. So, but the three that they talk about in Genesis are Cain and Abel and Seth. And we know Cain kills his brother, Abel. And then then we also learn about Seth, who has a descendant of Noah. So that's the uh, kind of brief synopsis of Adam and Eve. And um, I think that it's really worth for you to take a look and, and see what's going on regarding Adam and Eve. But the next st- account we're gonna go to is the story of Noah. Noah. Now, Noah is obedient. We first learned about Adam and Eve and the disobedience of them. We see the sin of murder between Cain and Abel. We see disobedience there. Now we have Noah and talking about the obedience of Noah. Now, we have to look at Genesis 6, 5. In Genesis 6, 5. Let me get there. 
It says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I have ever made them, but Noah found favor with the Lord. So God goes to Noah and he tells him, and now Noah's a righteous man, obviously uh, probably stood out amongst all of this indignation and uh, disobedience. And so God came to Noah and said, you know, I need you to build me an ark. From what I understand, rain wasn't even a thing. Uh, I'm sure it was, but it wasn't like they had a lot of rain or probably didn't even have a lot of rain forecast. So as you can all imagine, God asking you to do something that seems so out of the ordinary was quite um, a feat on Noah's part to, to listen to God, to having build this huge ark. And so in Genesis 7, 1 through 5, Here's the account of what God said to Noah. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family, for among the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was what God thought about us? But you know what? He did die on the cross for us. And for those people who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior are righteous in his eyes. Take with you seven pairs male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and sacrifice, and take one pair of each of the others. Also take seven pairs of every kind of bird. There must be a male and a female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. Seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth, and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. So Noah did everything as the Lord had commanded him. That was from Genesis 7, 1 through 5. So just imagine what this is like. I know a couple of years ago, Jeff and I went to the Sight and Sound. Um, It was a theater. It was a 3D-like theater. It had um, screens all, or didn't go all the way around, but it was halfway of the round room and huge screens. And they did a portrayal of Noah, the story of Noah. And it was so cool because we, when we sat in there, we actually felt, because when the screen, the, the screens had the story on it, it looked like we were actually in the ark. And we were actually there when it was starting to rain and they were bringing these animals down the aisles. It was breathtaking to say the least. But I think the one thing that really, really caught me in that story was that there were people who were very disobedient people. And when it came time for probably all the ones that were mocking Noah, like, you fool, what are you doing making an ark? Are you kidding? We have never had rain. There's no rain predicted. So what had happened was after Noah got all the animals and his family members onto the ark, God shut 
and locked the door. So in other words, I think, you know, people say, oh, it's never too late to accept Jesus Christ. That's not a fact. The fact is there is a time when it is too late. And these people that were so eagerly screaming and crying, trying to get onto that boat, Noah could not open the door. He was not even able to open the door. God had locked that door and nobody else was allowed on it. And then the flood waters came. So we know that whole story of Noah. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he then, this family, animals, all came back off the boat to, to then inhabit the earth. Now, Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, um, they then were responsible for procreating to inhabit the earth again. Now, when they came out, and, then, and at that point, that's when God had given us the rainbow, which became the sign of the covenant, saying that I will never destroy the earth by water or flood again. Now, when Noah and his family came off of that big ark, um, he then grew a, a vineyard of grapes. And this is uh, the first account of fermentation. Noah apparently was drinking and got drunk on the, the grapes that he had created and was in his tent lying there naked. And his son Ham came in and saw his father naked, which I believe was just a, a huge no-no. Um, and apparently he came out and told his other brothers that the, their dad, dad was in there laying naked. Um, at this point, Shem, excuse me, Ham then saw his dad's nakedness, which we also saw in the story of Adam and Eve, their nakedness, and they had to cover themselves, as we know. And the same thing happened for him, I'm sorry, for Noah, when his sons walked in backward with a blanket and covered their dad. So this was also some form of disobedience as well. <clears throat> the third account that I would like to cover in the book of Genesis is Another story of disobedience, the Tower of Babel. Now, there was a leader by the name of Nimrod who was a tyrant, who was tried to turn people away from God. And so the whole earth at that point had one language. And so these people were trying to build themselves a city to the heavens, to try to make a name for themselves, to try to be in control. And when God heard this, he came down and then confused the people by giving them all different languages so they could not communicate with each other. So with them not being able to communicate with each other, they could not work together to try to build their own little city. And at that point is where we start to see diverse languages. And uh, so that's the Tower of Babel, which probably, which happened in Babylonia as well. So that's the account of the Tower of Babel. The next account is the story of Abraham and Sarah. It was Abram and Sarai at the time. You know, God, there were a lot of people that had names, uh, I'm going to say birth names, but God gave them new names when he had them on a new mission. Mission. So we had Abram and Sarai, which he then eventually changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. 
Now, God found favor with Abraham as well. And uh, he was very obedient. Um, pro I, I, when I tell you the, about what he had to do with his son, and you may already know, we know the obedience that he had to God. God had told Abraham to go uh, away from his land because God was going to bless him. So Abraham and Lot, both of them uh, went away with Sarah, went away to this other uh, land, where and then when they went to this land, Lot and Abraham could not live there together. It, the land would not support the two families. So Lot went on to Sodom, and we know about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and then he told Abram that he would be the father of many, like dust. But at this time, Sarah or Sarai could not get pregnant, which was a really huge deal for a family, because he had already told him, I'm going to give you many, many, many children, as like as many as the stars in the sky, or as many as the sand on the ocean. I mean, we're talking about many children, but, and his own wife couldn't get pregnant. And it was like, are you kidding? Like, how is this going to happen, God? I thought this is what you told me. Well, Sarai was desperate to have a child. And so what she did is she gave her maidservant to um, Abram. And her name was Hagar. Now, I don't know about you guys. I, I think that looking at that and thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could give my husband to another woman to have a child. I think that's how, how important it was to them. But I also understand that it wasn't like this was the only time that ever happened. Apparently, that was something that did happen as well. Well, sure enough, she gets, Hagar gets pregnant by Abram, and um, she then despises Sarai um, and starts to mistreat her. And so then she leaves, Hagar leaves, because she's, they're, they're probably two women mad at each other, I'm, I'm assuming. So Hagar leaves, and an angel of the Lord told her, no, you need to go back and be respectful to Sarah. And, and she does. So I want you all to keep in mind that Sarah was 90 years old when she became pregnant. And God had even told her that she was going to be pregnant. And apparently she laughed. There's an account in the story that talks about, I think God, I don't know if he, he was upset with her for laughing, but he did point that out to her that she had laughed. And although her son that she had, his name was Isaac, his name meant laughter. Now, Hagar, which again is the maidservant who gets pregnant, who Sarah gives to Abraham. I wanna give you a little bit of account of the two sons that are born. First, Abraham has Ishmael, who is of the Arab descendant because his mother Hagar was of the Islamic faith. And then his wife Sarah has Isaac, who is of the line of the Israelites. So when they were, boys were about three, Hagar's son, Ishmael, mocked Isaac, which is Sarah's son. He mocks him. And at this point, that infuriates Sarah, and she sends Hagar out into the wilderness. And, you know, they get out there in the wilderness. She's upset. And then God comes to her and says, do not be upset because your son will 
God will make him into a great nation. And so this is the story of the two sons that are born uh, to Abraham. And of course, we know Abraham has many, 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 many more children. But now comes a test of obedience that is beyond my ability to even comprehend. God tested Abraham by telling him that he needed to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now remember, Isaac was born to Sarah, who was in her 90s when she finally got pregnant. So this wasn't like, oh, well, this kid was easy to conceive and have. They waited for him for a long time. So for them, God to ask him, I want you to go up and sacrifice your son. Well, sure enough, Abraham took his son, Isaac, and on the third day, he finds the place God told him to lay his son, Isaac. He placed Isaac, he placed Isaac there on this uh, surface. I don't know if, I'm not going to call it a bed or just a, a surface there and placed wood on top of him to do him, uh, to make him be a sacrifice. At this point, Abraham has the knife in his hand to kill his son, Isaac, and an angel stopped him. And at that point, God had known that Abraham was a, an obedient man, that he would do anything for God, even killing his firstborn son. But here's the other part of that story is God wanted him to sacrifice his son as we hear on the third day he finds this place so now what do we know about the third day that christ rises uh, from the dead in this story with abraham god provided a ram right after he was supposed to sacrifice isaac but god brings out this ram which then he then sacrifices so this is also showing us to help us know that what was coming was that God was going to die on a cross for us, sacrifice his own life for our sins. And on the third day, he rises again. And, and that's, the that's the account of Abraham. And then Abraham has as many descendants as the stars in the sky. Isn't that awesome? I don't know if I'm that obedient. I pray that God would never ask me to do that. I don't know if he would do that today, but I can say this, that Abraham had to be so in love with God before. And you know, that's what God says to us. I'm first. I'm first in your life. I am before your family. I am before your spouse. I am before your job. I am before your money. Because you know what? All of that that we have, from God. Everything we have, everything, the abilities that we have, the skills that we have, the knowledge that we have, the ability to get knowledge, all comes from God. And I know there are many people that say, I would never be able to put God before my children. But that's what God says we are to do. And he knows we struggle with that. Um, I'm sure he knows that. And I think all of us know that if we if God asks us to asks us to be the that obedient, it would take a lot of thought, I think, on our part. And I know a lot of times for myself, I'm like, you know, is this God's voice or is this my own voice? You know, is this my head telling me to do something or is it really God's voice? 
And I think that's something that we have to really learn to know that whether or not it's God's voice. And uh, I will be honest with you that I've done some studying on that. There's some great YouTube videos that talk about how to know if it's God's voice. Now, Sarah's son, Isaac, that we were just talking about, has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Um, now, Jacob was Esau, I'm sorry, Jacob was Isaac, Rebecca and Isaac. And if I'm not sure if I said this correctly, I just want to make sure I said it correctly. Sarah's son, um, Isaac, has two sons and they're Esau and Jacob. So I hope I said that correctly. And Rebecca and Isaac are married and they have the two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, this is the story of also disobedience on Jacob's part. Well, and also Esau, I would guess too. Um, but Esau was had the birthright. That was very important. A birthright was extremely important because that's who everything was handed to as a child. So Esau was was had his father's birthright, but then Jacob wanted that birthright, but he was born second. So what he did is he tricked Esau by going in and making some kind of a stew. And Esau comes home from working out all, or outside all day. And Jacob says, Esau says, I'm hungry. Give me some of that food. And Jacob says, okay, but give me your birthright. And so he then gives his brother the birthright for a bowl of stew, being very disobedient there. But that's not where that story ends because then Jacob then tricks his father, Isaac, and then gets Esau's blessing. Now he goes in, his father is losing his vision. He can't see. Esau apparently was a very hairy man and had ruddy color skin. So Jacob, with the help of his mother, Rebecca, uh, apparently this was her favorite son. So apparently Rebecca's favorite son was Jacob and Isaac's favorite son was Esau. But anyway, Jacob goes in and tricks his father, Isaac, by putting fur or hair on his skin. And then his father then blesses him as if he were Esau because he had told his father, I'm Esau. And he questions him like, are you really? But then he convinces him that he is. So there's a lot of disobedience there. Now the two brothers eventually split up. They're angry and whatever. And eventually they come back together and uh, there's forgiveness there. But there's a lot of lot that happens in between this. And I think when you read about this, I think pay, pay close attention to what happens between these two brothers. So now Jacob, remember Isaac's son, Jacob, um, now we're going to talk about Joseph, which is Jacob's favorite son. Gosh, there's a lot of favoritism on parents. I don't know. Do we have favorite sons and daughters? I think, I don't know if we have favorites. We may, but I think we also have their favorite to us in certain aspects. Like one child might be my favorite because he's a comedian, but another child might be my favorite because of something else. So I, I think that happens in real life. So now this is the story of Joseph, who then, like I said, is Jacob's favorite son. Jacob's the one that stole the birthright from him, from his brother. Now, Joseph was very obedient and had 10 brothers 
who hated him. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Jacob, Joseph was loved by his father, Jacob, and his father, Jacob, gives Joseph this coat of many colors. And the coat of many colors meant leadership. So when the other brothers saw that he had this awesome coat, they, they were angry at him. They were jealous, probably more jealous than angry. And we know what jealousy does to us. And apparently Joseph is a dreamer and that's gonna be very important to the rest of this story. Joseph is a dreamer and I mean, I don't know if he's a dreamer, but he has these dreams. And in his dream, he says to his brothers, hey, not only do I have my dad's favorite coat, but I'm gonna rule all over, over all of you someday. Now, I, I can't imagine that they were all like, oh, well, that's great. Now we got this guy we don't even like, and he's gonna be, be the ruler of us someday. So they were mad at him. And what they did was they sold him to the Midianite tribe, uh, tribe where they take, take Joseph to Egypt. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver. And they put him down in a cistern at first, and then they, and I don't know if you know what that is, it's kind of like a, a, a well, if you will, in the ground. They put him down in there, they take this rope from him, dip it in animal's blood, take it back to their father, and Jacob and say, you know what, here's, your son is dead. We found his coat and he's dead. Well, in the meantime, the, the son that they said is dead, Joseph, gets shipped off to Egypt. And he goes there to live with Potiphar and Potiphar's house, which is really, um, the, I guess you would say, the right-hand man to the Pharaoh. But he finds favor there. So remember, he's he's been beaten by his brothers and they sell him into slavery, but he finds favor from um, the Pharaoh. But while he's staying in the house of the Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph and she tries to seduce him. But Joseph is like, no, I'm not having anything to do with this. And it's almost like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, if you don't. If he did, he knows he would have gotten in trouble. And if he'd have fallen for her, um, or, and, and said no, he knew he was gonna get in trouble. And sure enough, he did not fall for her. He did not let her seduce him, but she told the, the Pharaoh that he did, that he took advantage of her, which then got him thrown into jail. Well, while he's in jail, now see, this is an up and down story. While he's in jail, he finds favor in the jail and it kind of is like the, in charge of the entire jail. So while he's there, um, there's a lot that happens while he's in there. And, uh, but while he was there, there was a time when the Pharaoh was having dreams that he wanted somebody to interpret. And he would ask, you know, the prophets and whoever, the other people that were around him to interpret his dreams, but they really couldn't interpret them. And so apparently somebody in the jail had already known, I think it was a one of the chefs or cooks for, the Pharaoh had already met him in the jail and he had gotten out and he had told Joseph, you know what, when I get out of here, I'm gonna let them know that you did all this good stuff in here. And well, he doesn't, he doesn't tell Pot the Pharaoh or anything about Joseph. So, but he does hear, he's like, oh, wait a minute, Pharaoh wants somebody to interpret his dreams. He remembered that Joseph was in jail and was able to do that. So he tells Pharaoh, hey, I know somebody that can do that. He happens to be in jail. Well, he brings him out of the jail, brings Joseph out of the jail. He interprets Pharaoh's king, 
and his interpretation is because God tells him what the dream was about. It wasn't Joseph knowing, it was because God told him what the dream was about. And in that dream, he was telling, God was telling Pharaoh, hey, there is a famine coming. And when it does, you need to be prepared. Well, then Joseph finds favor. Now he's out of jail and he finds favor again. And he becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. And what he does is because Joseph is given all this knowledge by God, he prepares for the famine. And he has food stored up for all the, all the people there and all the people surrounding there. And it just so happens that his brothers then need food because of the famine. It affects them, affects them as well. So they come to where Joseph is and Joseph knows that these are the brothers that sold him into slavery, but they don't recognize Joseph. So when they get there, you know, they say, hey, we need to have food and wheat and this and stuff, unknowing who Joseph was. Eventually, um, eventually, as the story goes, Joseph does reveal himself. The brothers are scared to death. Oh my gosh, we sold you into slavery, but he forgives them. He tells them, go get my family, bring them all here. And while they're all there, they all lived in Egypt and are well taken care of. As a matter of fact, they're so well taken care of because Joseph is the Pharaoh's right-hand man. Now, this story of Joseph is so important because it then will, what happens in Exodus will begin, will begin with Joseph. And Joseph and the, these Israelites inhabit Egypt. And so that's how all the um, Israelites are in Egypt. I believe, if I'm not mistaken by memory, there's like over 400 of them. And they are now living in Egypt. And they find favor with the Pharaoh. But in the story of Exodus, the new Pharaoh doesn't know all of this wonderfulness about Joseph and their family. And we know what the new Pharaoh does to the Egyptians that are in Egypt. So I hope that you have learned something today. So I think what we've covered, if I can kind of make a little summary, is we talked about the creation of earth with Adam and Eve uh, being the first sinners, uh, their three sons. We talked about Noah's Ark and how God destroys his creation through Noah. Then we talked about the Tower of Babel, of the disobedience of the people trying to form their own kingdom, I guess, if you will, against God and how God takes care of that. And Babylonian, which I did not say there, is very important to the exile of the um, Jewish people. We talked about Abraham and Sarah, and then Joseph being sold into slavery, which is going to be very important when we talk about the story of the Bible, excuse me, the book of Exodus. You know, I hope that this was helpful to you. What I really hope even more is that it really wants to make you read the Bible and understand it more. I know of some people who have actually said, you know what I do? I throw down my Bible and wherever it opens is where I think God would want me to read. Well, maybe, 
I'm not going to discount that. But you know what else I think? I think as Christians, we need to understand what the Bible has to say to us. We need to understand so that when we talk to other people, we need to know what we're talking about. There's nothing worse than, I mean, would you go to a teacher that said, well, I teach this, but I know nothing about it because I've never read anything on it. Absolutely not. And I think that's what God wants us to do is to be well equipped to talk to other people. And um, so I just believe that, I hope you're blessed by all of this. And if you have questions or if you would like me to talk about something else, not that I'm the expert, by no means am I the expert. But I can say this, that I'm very willing to research and I have a lot of resources that I use. And if there's something that you would like to know more about and you want to get with me to find out what resources I use, absolutely. We know I use the Bible. Um, I do a, I, I'm using a one-year chronological Bible right now, but I have several Bibles that I'm reading from. I have my Rainbow Study Bible, and then I have another study Bible that I look into as well. Because sometimes just knowing uh, the culture Help us to uh, helps us to understand that's why they did what they did. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and I just pray God blesses you. I pray that you feel that burning within your heart to learn more about what God has to say, and um, I just pray that you're blessed as I am. Have a great day. Bye now.